Support for Radioactive's Punk Rock Farmer comes from Go Biochar. Welcome to Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones, and we're back in the closet studio tonight. Joining me, Al Dystrick Knight, KRCL's Punk Rock Farmer. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm in the kitchen studio today. Kitchen studio. <laughs> if you're cooking, I'm going to be so upset I'm not there. What's growing in your well, garden, and what are you cooking up? <clears throat> Boy, the tomatoes have started to really come in, and I've been making sauce, and... Uh, I made pizza, I made some dough, sourdough, and I put some fresh tomato sauce on it. Yeah, my favorite's a, a little plate, or maybe a big plate. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and before I know it, I'm just like, I have like this whole homegrown thing in front of me. Right? That's, that so that's the best. That's the best. And you have, uh, you're continuing your backyard garden tour, your personal visits to fellow punk rock farmers. Who's coming up tonight? So tonight <clears throat> we have the, we have pioneer organic farmer John Bors John Borskis with us, and um, boy, it was a real joy to get up there to Kaysville and get out in his farm. It's not just a garden; it's a one it's one acre. There's a lot growing there. He's he's got a lot going on, and uh, he's got the same. Him and I are cut from the same mold, and. Uh, You'll see in the you'll hear in this interview we we get along real well. And be sure to check tonight's show notes. They took a couple of photos. We'll be sure to put into the show post. Also coming up on the show, we're going to check in with Salt Lake Academy of Music. They're adding a new jazz instructor, a whole jazz program that they're really excited to talk about. And also on the show, Skywatcher Leo T. 75 years of Salt Lake County Parks and Rec. Liz Salas is going to give us a couple of quick picks and something you can do this weekend to get up to speed on the etiquette when you go out and about on parks and trails across the Wasatch Front. But we're going to start, as we always do, with some fresh and homegrown music. And Al, this is a little bit of a twist because uh, Rich Wyman, he's a piano player out of Park City. He and his wife, Lisa Needham, play together. Um... They wrote a song in response to something called Fugitive Dust. It's a hot issue in Park City. It's a political issue. He felt no one was covering it, and he decided the best way to get the word out was with song. So we're going to play this song off the top, Al, but first there's a whole backstory people need to go. So, so here's some of our conversation. The whole issue of this uh, waste site that the Park City Council has been pursuing um, has, that's been going on for over a year. And it was brought to my attention by uh, the Summit County Councilor Roger Armstrong around May 1st, so about three and a half months ago. And he said, what are you going to do about this waste site? <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? And he told me all about it. And I realized that the park record, which is the only newspaper in Park City, hadn't done one story about this. So for a year, this has been going under the radar. Well, because everyone knows Rich is outspoken. So that's why Roger was like, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. And um, I started calling people and finding out information about it. And literally within a day or two, I came up with a letter to the editor that I put in the park record, which slammed the park record for not doing their job and not informing the public that this has been going on for a year. And what, trying to wake up people to the fact that the city council not only have been pursuing this for over a year, but the Department of Environmental Quality in the state of Utah 
was closing public comment two days after my letter hit the paper. On May 4th, they were closing public comment before the public even had heard about it. And the park record, to their credit, they printed the letter? They printed the letter, and to their credit, over the course of the following weeks and months, it became the number, like, front page story over and over and over. And um, the city paused. They put a 60-day pause, and they started doing what they called public outreach, but I called it their propaganda machine because their public outreach was literally having little neighborhood meetings where they would sell the idea to everybody there. And this idea was the city council trying to deal with the legacy of mining in Park City and this toxic dust that gets kicked up and needs some place to go when you dig around and build something new. You got to remediate so much land up there because of the mining history, right? Right. And this stuff is everywhere in Park City. It's just from the from the top of the mountain all the way to the city limits. It's everywhere. And it goes out into the county. The trains that used to leave the mining uh, buildings for over 100 years, as they would leave Park City, they would dump all over the place. Along the tracks because they would along just be track. open and just spewing out. So there's a long history, um, not only in Park City, but in communities throughout the Beehive State that have a mining history. And I spoke to the head of EPA in one of the guys, not the head, but one of the guys at the EPA in Denver. He said there are hundreds of towns in Denver. I mean, in in Colorado. Colorado's got a a lot of mining towns that that, that is just all over the place. So first you wrote a letter to the editor. Congratulations on on being civic minded in that regard. But you're a musician, you and Lisa. And so you you decided to put this to song. Well, yeah, you you asked me about the song. So I was talking to Scott Williams, who's the uh, the executive director of Heal Utah. Um, I used to be on the board of Heal Utah a long time ago when they started. And um, Scott mentioned a term I'd never heard before, fugitive dust. And if you go, actually go to the Heal Utah website, which I've got pulled up here. Um, actually, it says, uh, the, the e- this is an email I got from them. Fugitive dust. The dust seen around heavy construction sites, unpaved roads, mining, and other such locations is a poorly regulated form of pollution threatening public health when citizens pass by these sites. To reduce this pollution, stronger regulations are needed to control this pollution. So that's from the Heal Utah uh, email they sent out. So Scott was telling me about fugitive dust. He said, when they make these sites, they dump the stuff in the sites. They, uh, when the wind blows, it blows this, these, these dust, uh, dust storm. <laughs> all over the place. And there's a, and one of the things that was really upsetting about what the city was trying to do is that uh, in their application to the uh, Department of Environmental Quality, there are certain things that have to be you know bars that have to be met you're not allowed to build one of these sites near within a a thousand feet of a stream and we found out that it's less than a thousand feet from a stream the site that park city city council was looking at yes so in order to solve this they weren't going to move the site they were filing for an exemption and that upset a lot of people that didn't know about it until Not only did they, the they editor. know about it, but now they find out the city council is trying to move it closer to a stream than they're allowed to. Well, after you reached out, I went and started looking around like, what has the park record written? And that's when I saw that Park City Council has now abandoned this plan and is starting over. Right. So we 
we won. It was a big victory for the citizens of Park City. And so getting back, I still haven't answered your question. About the <laughs> well, we're going to play it. You'll answer it in song, but give me a little bit about, right. You know, how do you translate that into something that, you know, you can boogie to? Well, that's the thing, you know? So I, as soon as I heard the term fugitive dust from Scott Williams, I said to Scott, that should be the name of a band. And at public, at the, at their public hearing that they finally held on July 15th, the city had their first public hearing and several people got up and said, uh, first Dana Williams, who used to be the mayor of Park City, who's a musician, said, I'm starting a band. And then Roger Armstrong said, I'm joining the band Fugitive Dust. And um, so that was July 15th. And Lisa and I had a show that weekend. You were some, oh no, you were on a mountain bike ride and came I'm back. There. I'm getting there. Running into the house and said, I, I, I just wrote this song. I wrote all the verses and I was like, how did you write all the verses? He's like, my phone, I've got them. I just need a couple more tweaks. It, it, it's amazing. I, I can't wait to play it for you. And he, I think you sat down and just started hammering it out. It was pretty fast and furious. Yes, I was riding my bike out on the rail trail where all the mind tailings are <laughs> scattered all over the place. And it came to me, Laura, it just came to me. I started singing it with this New Orleans groove you know, that the song has. It's called a download, Rich. Yeah, I had a download. If you don't have a character, on your piano player, man. So I see why you went that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and verse after verse and after and it's it surprised me because the song was funny. It came out as a humorous song. Well, give me a I, few lines before we play this and, and back it up in uh, in song. Give me a few okay. lines that like the opening the opening verse is if you're ever in Park City, long ago the mines went bust. The town was jumping but everybody was dumping. Now when the wind blows, you got fugitive dust. <laughs> and there are so many words that rhyme with dust. It's it just wrote horrible. itself. It yeah, so it kind of did wrote itself. And then the next one, if you're ever in Park City and you get lucky and you're full of lust, <laughs> when you're doing that heavy breathing, you might be breathing fugitive dust. So you've released this song and part of your email pitch to me was, and I can't get the station in Park City <laughs> to play it. Are they playing it now? No. Well, they let said, me fix that for you, okay? Yes. And Aldine, that is some of the backstory of this first song we're going to share from Rich Wyman and Lisa Needham. There's more that we didn't have time for, and I'll put a link in the show notes to the Park Record letter to the editor that he wrote. But in the meantime, let's get this song on the air for him. Fresh and homegrown, Rich Wyman with Fugitive Dust on KRCL 90.9 FM. Yeah. 
Saturday night at 9 p.m. We are the only radio station that plays them, and the Utah Arts Festival has them on stage. What? I play them all the time during my show, Night Estadio, here at KRCL. But hey, folks, you can come see them live on stage at the Utah Arts Festival, which has been around for 45 years. So come on down, bring on your dancing shoes, and join me for a great event with Las Cafeteras. See you Saturday. Many cultures, one sky. Sky watcher Leo T here. As we look up, look around, get a little lost in space with a little stargazing from our home planet. As a sign of late August, sparkly Cassiopeia is high in the northeast above the Moab Rim and the Wasatch Front. Its W pattern tilting up, and below its starry exotic Perseus is reaching up. The highest part of Perseus includes the ethereal and delicate double cluster. 
To find it, look below the lowest two stars of the Cassiopeia W. They're the faintest two. Then scan below in the same direction the W points you. You're looking for what seems like a small spot of enhanced Milky Way glow. Binoculars will help greatly. Or if you're having trouble making it out, look for the shape of Marge Simpson's head. That's right. It looks like, to this skywatcher, a, a crystalline outline of Marge Simpson's head and glorious hairdo. Now that the moon is out of the evening sky, it's prime Milky Way time if you can get in the dark. After dark, the Milky Way runs from Sagittarius in the south, up and a bit left across Aquila the Eagle through the big summer triangle high overhead with Vega, and on down through Cassiopeia to Perseus, low in the northeast where the double cluster is. Also in the evening, Jupiter and Saturn shine in the southeast in late twilight after dark. It's a good time to look as they are at their closest and brightest of the year. And a little closer in our own solar system, China's Mars rover completes its primary mission as it roves along analyzing different rocks, dunes, and other features, and continues exploring the area which is thought to be below the shoreline of an ancient ocean. Also on Mars, JPL and NASA's helicopter Ingenuity launched a successful 12th flight, giving us a bird's eye view of Jezero Crater's diverse rugged south region, and topping this, remember the Curiosity rover? It's been on Mars nine years. NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory released a breathtaking panorama of the inside of the Gale Crater as snapped by the Curiosity rover. The clip shows where the rover has been and where it's going, and what we've learned in the last decade. It is really cool. This includes the fact that on a clear winter's day when there's no dust in the air, you can see for 20 miles. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's one sky, many cultures. And as we travel a bit further southwest into the deserts and forests of New Mexico and Arizona to the land of the Mescalero Apache. This Mescalero Apache mythological account of creation relates that from the very beginning of time, the earth already existed and was in a process of continual change, which continues to be seen as the manifestation of the cyclical powers of nature. Mescalero myths and stories up to this very day account for the knowledge that the ancestors had of the earth, animals, plants, sun, sky, moon, and stars. From the very beginning, we are told there was an awareness of the inner forms of the animals and plants and the other elements of nature. So keep looking up, enjoy the magic, look around and get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. Thank you, Skywatcher Leo T. Be sure to check tonight's show notes and connect with Leo on Facebook to keep up on his many cultures, One Sky reports. You're listening to Radioactive. It's Punk Rock Farmer Friday and Al's Urban Farm Reports coming up. I'm Laura Jones, but uh, Al, uh, a couple of things to talk about here. Utah Arts Festival going on um, on stage tonight. Jazzy Olivo at 730 Here's a band we need to get on the show, Al. Mouth, M-O-W-T-H, at 9 o'clock tonight. Female-fronted indie dance punk band from Salt Lake City. Gonna nice. uh, get them on the show. And, of course, they're playing tonight at the Arts Festival. 9.30, the Nth Power, Soul Power from New Orleans and NYC. Then you're going to get Zach, Ivy, and Ocelot at 10.15. Some homegrown Saturday, KRCL's own Ma Black, Al Dine, will be introducing Las Cafe Terras at the Arts Festival at 9 o'clock that's going to be an incredible show, too. Utah Arts Festival happening all weekend long. Uh, tomorrow, 10 o'clock at the Utah Capitol, is the March On for Voting Rights Utah, a sister march to the one happening in D.C. and many more across the country. Of course, Al, it is the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. 
Time to check in with our friends at the Salt Lake Academy of Music in Sugar House. They've got some news. The slam band kids will be on stage at the Utah Arts Festival this weekend. Joining me now, we have founder and executive director, Stephen Auerbach. Hi, Steve. How you doing? Hey, Laura Jones. How are you? Not bad. Saw you at Craft Lake City with the slam band on the KRCL stage. Those kids were rocking it. Best Craft Lake City ever. Those guys really did an amazing job. And the kids played pretty well. It was it was great. Now, I know the second Friday of every month, you're at the Sugar House Art Walk. But also coming up, the Slam Band will be playing again at the Arts Fest. We'll put details in the show notes. But more importantly, I'm curious how Slam has fared over COVID. And I understand you have some exciting jazz news. Yes, we do. Um, COVID, well, you know, we opened in January 2020. So in 73 days, we closed for COVID containment. Then we reopened in May. And here it is a little bit over a year later, and we're open and growing. Uh, All of the uh, programs and enrollment and lessons and all that for classical and jazz and rock and bluegrass and everything that we're doing uh, has been steadily growing uh, by a good percentage every month. And we're about we're on target for enrollment. You should be at about 100 students by the end of the year and 200 by the end of next year. You're a nonprofit music school and you really focus on that K to 12 youth. You've got sliding scale access to instruments. In fact, some of our listeners have donated instruments to the SLAM Academy. Um, Really, I understand your goal is to be able to provide any kid who wants music lessons and whatever discipline to be able to do that eventually. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in New York and in New York uh, public schools, We had access to free instruments and lessons and education and music. And I want that to be the same for kids here in Salt Lake. And we just decided to take responsibility for that and ask the community to give us instruments. And then we give them to kids on a free to fee sliding scale, as well as the instruction and the programs. So that any kid, even if they don't have a dime, can can get an instrument and learn how to play. You've been adding different genres and jazz. You have an exciting announcement. Tell us who's yeah. joining. Well, I'd like to introduce Dr. John Petroselli. Uh, John is a native New Jerseyan who came here uh, for a position at the University of Utah running their jazz studies department. And I will turn it over to John. You there, John? Dr. John. I'm here. Thank you both so much for that wonderful introduction. Uh, yes, my name is Dr. John Petroselli, and I'm currently uh, the visiting director of jazz at University of Utah, and honored to be on with both of you today. And Steve and I uh, connected uh, earlier this summer, and we realized that uh, our visions for uh, the Salt Lake City jazz scene were in alignment in terms of creating new and exciting opportunities, particularly at the pre-college level for aspiring musicians and performers. And I'm so excited to have been welcomed on to the faculty and really looking forward to an exciting year getting to work uh, more at the uh, pre-college level with students who are hoping to learn more about this exciting American art form. Well, jazz has had its obituary written in Utah many times, the ups and downs of different um, concert series is what I'm thinking of, but the diehard jazz community is there. So much competing for uh, a kid's interest when it comes to music lessons. What do you think the key is for attracting kids into jazz? 
Well, I don't think of it so much as a competition, but more that there's just a diversity of, of options, uh, certainly at the pre-college level. And of course, as, a, as an academic and uh, teacher at the, the college level, there are a multitude of, of jazz programming and event-based opportunities all across the state. Um, to me, what's unique about the SLAM program that we're building at the, ja uh, the jazz program that we're building is that we're gonna focus, uh, I think, on individual instruction and uh, interaction within a small group setting. So I think oftentimes uh, here in Utah, we think about jazz as a big band, a, a jazz ensemble discipline. Um, but I think that there are just an, a huge amount of possibilities uh, within smaller groups, uh, seven and, and less essentially, you know, so trio all the way up through septet. And really what we're teaching our students at, at the end of the day is flexibility uh, of within their craft, uh, with each other and on their instruments. Steve, um, does this bring new a new need to SLAM for instruments that are jazz friendly, so to speak? What can the well, community do for you? Well, you know, we, we are always in need of more instruments for kids. I think the unique thing here about this offering uh, really for kids, the kids that we're really targeting, if you will, are kids that are playing jazz. So um, we have lots of kids that are in our rock program that play in their, their high school uh, jazz ensembles. We have a lot of kids that are traveling to Utah County for another jazz program. And there are hundreds of kids that are playing jazz all over Utah already. And a lot of them are really into it. And they get a unique opportunity on a free to fee sliding scale to work with Dr. Petroselli on music that they love, that they don't get enough of and they want more of. And that's really our ideal student for the start of this program. And uh, we're continuing the auditions on into September and we're gonna probably make it open enrollment until we full fill up. So that'll just be a rolling opportunity for students to just inquire and get involved. And um, we're real excited to have KRCL's help in getting the word out about this. And I really appreciate your attention on it because jazz is not dead. It just smells funny. <laughs> Steve Arbach, quoting the late Frank Zappa and Dr. John Petroselli, both of Salt Lake Academy of Music. Check tonight's show notes for a link. And now something to get you off your butts. Salt Lake County Parks and Rec celebrating 75 years. Called up a friend of mine over there to give us three quick picks for your weekend. Improving lives through people, parks, and play is the motto of Salt Lake County Parks and Rec, which turns 75 this year. So I asked for three quick picks from Liz Solace. Hey, Liz, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Some folks might know you as Liz in SLC. Some of our songs of summer picks <laughs> came from you. Thank you. Tell, me, tell folks what you do over at Salt Lake County Parks. So I have the privilege of being the Associate Director of Community Engagement, which means my whole focus is just improving our engagement with the community, whether it's conversations online, conversations actually in the community, opportunities for the community, opportunities for the community to provide input. We're all about community. Of course, what I'm really curious about is all the parks, the pools, the trails, the rec centers. And so that's where we're going with three quick picks to get ourselves out and active. What do you got? What's your first pick? So my first pick uh, this week is our McRiley golf course, which is located in Murray. It's a smaller course. It's got nine holes, but it's a three-part course. 
and beautiful grounds. It's it's really kind of nestled into a neighborhood uh, near Murray Park. And we also just redid the clubhouses last year. So during COVID, that was something we were able to complete. So if you are familiar with McRiley, which a lot of people are, many people went to junior golf there as kids. They might've worked there also as a youth. I myself was once a beer cart girl there. I did that from, from a hot minute. And then, um, like I said, we have the clubhouse where there's great food. Uh, we also have, there's golf carts, there's a driving range you can putt about. We can host small tournaments. And again, that junior golf, which is so popular, but really one of the most beautiful aspects of that course is the view of Mount Olympus and the, the mountains across the Wasatch Front. Okay, so my second pick this week is the Northwest Recreation Center. It's located at 1255 Clark Avenue in Salt Lake City. It's got a great indoor pool with three slides and people of all ages can utilize the slides. So if you like slides, I say get over there right away. They also have an eight lane, 25 yard lap pool. Uh, swimming has become a very popular sport. We observed that throughout the pandemic that a lot of people wanted to get in there and use those lap pools. They also have group fitness spaces. There's personal training available for an additional fee in addition to your admission. We've got the indoor tr uh, track. We also offer tons of youth programs, uh, rookie soccer, outdoor soccer, t-ball, youth uh, softball for girls all just opened up, plus swim lessons. So, And I hear you're hiring. We are always hiring and we love to hire within the community. So definitely a lot of kids who have grown up going to the Northwest Rec Center have also ended up building skills and getting their first job at the Northwest Rec Center. So we invite anybody who's interested to apply. We love to hire lifeguards, coaches, instructors, front desk, lots of opportunities. Your final pick is something I'm really interested in, and that's intro to trails. Tell us about your third quick pick. Yeah, so intro to, intro to Trails is exciting because it's a brand new program that we're launching with our outdoors programs coordinators, which we just hired two outdoors programs coordinators who are based at Wheeler Historic Farm and their focus is outdoor programs around the county. So we all love to hike trails. I can tell you during the pandemic, we saw a lot more activity at our parks and our open spaces and on our trails. And with thousands of users, whether they're from Salt Lake County or from around the state, sometimes out of state, or whether they're on bike, foot, horse, however they're there, we need to make sure that there's proper etiquette, which includes uh, leaving no trace principles, knowing how to man maneuver the trails when other people are on the trails, and then also having that history of the trail is something that the Intro to Trails class will provide. So giving people a little bit of background on what, how the trail came to be, and um, just a little bit of knowledge about that. So I understand tomorrow your intro to trails class starts. Yes. So it is the first class tomorrow. It's our first hike and it's August, Saturday, August 28th at 9 a.m. They're going to meet at the trailhead of uh, H Rocks and Jack's Peak Trailhead, which is 1835 Kerrigan Canyon Drive. If people are interested in participating, they can go to the Facebook page, which is SLCO Parks and Rec, find the event, Intro to Trails, and then they'll click on the tickets link and you'll be able to navigate it from there. But there's no cost to participate. Um, it is, the space is limited just because for etiquette reasons and safety reasons and to maximize the experience, we are capping out. But we did extend the registration deadline because we want KRCL listeners to have a chance to register tonight. 
So what's the deadline tonight? 9 p.m. 9 p.m. And we'll put a link in the show notes, folks. So three quick picks from Salt Lake County Parks and Rec, from Salt Lake County Parks and Rec, which is turning 75 this year. What's the website where people can learn more and see their tax dollars at work for recreation so close to home? Right. Our our website is recreation.slco.org. And I would say to look at us, you would never think we're 75. And I think that's just because we've remained physically active. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And uh, lots of good hike suggestions. We'll have to get into those in another edition, a future edition of three quick picks. Anything else you want to leave folks with? Well, if they aren't able to participate in tomorrow's hike, there's two more hikes coming up, one in or both in September, so they can sign up for those, and they'll see that on the link that you share. And then just keep following us on social media. Go to our website to find activities around the county. We would love to connect with you however you want to connect. Thank you, Liz. Check tonight's show notes for a link, folks. When we come back, it's Al's Urban Farm Report and his trip to Borski Farms. You're listening to Radioactive Summer Break on KRCL 90.9 FM, and Al Dynstrickman is joining me in our virtual studio. Um, and it's time for your Urban Farm Report, where you like to shine a light on the agri-hood, Al. Yeah, I got up to Kaysville, got to, got to see John up at Borski Farms, one of the forerunners of organic gardening here, farming here in Salt Lake, and tells a good story about the first farmer's market the first downtown farmer's market 10 vendors sold out in a couple hours uh it got bum rushed (laughs) so (laughs) that's really cool this is al the punk rock farmer i'm on location i'm in kaysville utah i'm talking with john borski today um john you you're no spring chicken to this you've been at it for a minute 30 years 30 years, and so you've ridden an organic wave, and and you've started out that way? Absolutely. I lived in New York City for a few years there, and I just noticed a little trend heading towards uh, organic and more consciousness, you know, towards the environment and exactly what was happening to our fruit and vegetable system with all the commercial farms that are out there and Monsanto and all that BS, you know, just creating poison all over the place and hearing about all of the birds that are killed because of it and just, you know, the animals that aren't smart enough to stay away from it and run into that. And that really made me think. That's quite a that's quite a deterrent from, from a food system, isn't it? I mean... That's the wrong idea, totally, and and uh, I think organics obviously is is uh, on the right path. And these days, even regenerative, they call it, and where, yeah. the, where you're putting back instead of taking away. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so you've been around the scene here in, in Utah for a long time too, though, and you had some you have some ties to the early farmers market, the early downtown farmers market. Yeah, it's one of the first farmers there. You were one of the first farmers there. Yeah. So what was it like back then when it first started? Because it's been 30 years now. It has. Well, they called me and a couple other farmers and said, we're thinking about doing a farmer's market, and we'd like to do it in Pioneer Park. We've got a uh, – this was the Downtown Alliance, you know, who's promoting local businesses down there and trying to get things uh, – 
I think not just businesses going, but improvements in the whole downtown area there. And Pioneer Park was was pretty scary. It's a lot of drug dealers and things like that yeah, down yeah. there. And oh, yeah. I wasn't that excited about doing it at first, but they said, we'll pay for everything. We'll do all the promotion. And all you got to do is show up and show your vegetables. So the first market, I think there was about 10 of us who showed up on uh, third south side of the street there, right across from where Caputo's is now. Uh-huh. And uh, boy, people just came in hordes and they bought everything we had. And I think every one of us was sold out in a couple hours there. That did that. Sit- and that's the way the first year went. We wow. didn't even last there more than a couple hours there. Now you know there's a three-ring circus going on there. And oh, yeah. All kinds of crap. Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here in Kaysville, and uh, we're on the radio. So explain a little bit about the layout and what you've got going on here so that people can kind of get in tune. We could go out and look around if you want a little bit. Yes. And uh, But this was my grandma's property, and like I said, I think we bought it about 30 years ago. And there was fruit trees and all kinds of things that I had to cut down and and move around. And uh, I started adding compost then, and I probably added three feet of compost to this soil here by the time I'm done. And I think it's the best addition for your uh, garden that you can really do. I think you got to feed the soil and get it activated uh, before you can get it really to produce good amount of fruits and vegetables it's not just a one-time thing it's something you can do at the end of the year the beginning of the year whenever right i like to do it at the end of the year because i think the aged organic matter is your uh you know better composition when you want the soil activity to be at its best to feed the plants and things like that to start growing in the spring so i don't usually add it in the spring but I side dress with a little bit of it in the spring. I always try to side dress my garlic and my shallots, so spring crops that come on early. And uh, so you don't just have to mix it in. You mix it in, but then you can you can layer it on top also. Love to side dress with it. You know, when the garlic's about six, seven inches high, uh, it's a great addition. It helps loosen up the soil that's there since we're not you know, working the soil where the garlic is since we planted in the fall and uh, softens it up, makes it a little easier to pull out of there. Uh, how big is the space here? Just a little over an acre. A little over an acre. And you can grow a lot of food on an acre. I grow right? a lot of food. I grow tons of food on this acreage and I've got some acreage up in Eden where I grow things too that I bought about 15 years ago. And that's really nice soil up there. I've got some rich, dark stuff. I haven't had to add much to it. And uh, I do some colder weather crops up there like uh, brassicas and uh-huh. herbs and things uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. We're sitting here We're sitting here, maybe in the sorting area, in the garage, exactly. part, garage part. Um, there's, a, there's 25, 30 cases of beautiful-looking peaches These are here. from the USU farm down the street here and they've got some really nice uh methods that they're using down there as far as uh you know treatments for their fruit trees and things like that they don't usually 
spray anything unless they see a problem. And uh, you know, I go on that website USU Extensions, and I can sit there and follow links for a week. I can be on the computer forever. Um, Kaysville's kind of a hot spot because they have that. You have you guys have the USU farm here, but um, there's a large farmers market. There's a very good farmers market here, isn't there? There's uh, USU does a farmers market down there, and there's been a lot of money allocated for this USU farm for a lot of classes. They actually got a, a building down there where they do master gardener classes and a few other things to learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, just home gardening and things like that. People call me all the time and ask me, you know, whoa, you know, how do you do this? And will you come talk at my garden center and things like that. And I'm not very good at that because I cuss too much. And <laughs> I just, you know, rather send them down there and let the people, you know, who are studying that and, and have uh, the in-depth information have a little more patience than I do to, to teach. So uh, we, you mentioned garlic, and I know, I know you love to grow garlic, and I know you concentrate on a few varieties. I sure do. And let's talk about that. Here, let's take a walk out back while we're talking. Sure. Come over this way here. Okay. We'll, we'll see what's going on here. So, <laughs> garlic, how, many, how, many, how much of your space do you use about? Some of my cougar bits right here. Maybe about a quarter of the garden. You don't have to have a whole lot of space to plant. Uh-huh. Uh, the garlic. They go close together. Uh-huh. And I plant them the third week of October and harvest them about the second, third week of June. Uh-huh. It's kind of nice because you get ahead of most weeds. Right. And uh, you got an early crop to sell at the farmer's market. And these varieties that I sell, they are exceptional. And I've uh, started with just a few bulbs and have had to save them from year to year to create my own crop where I can produce a few thousand uh you know bulbs of garlic now and so what are the varieties you use focus on i've got italian giant is a variety i got from a lady up in idaho she was down at the farmer's market i think the second or third year they started and i bought seven pieces from her and i divided them up and planted them and it took me about five years till i could come up with a crop where i could produce about a thousand heads and now I produce about a couple thousand heads of that. Of that one. A couple thousand of Spanish Roja uh -huh, and a couple uh -huh. thousand like of Enchiliums, a variety that I got from a Indian reservation up on the border of Oregon and Washington. Hardnecks, softnecks? Spanish Roja, Italian giant, hardnecks. Uh, Enchiliums, the softneck garlic that we spend three weeks braiding and selling and, and we get a good crowd down there. Uh, when we're braiding the garlic and having a lot of fun selling it. This is where I'll be planting the garlic in the fall. I cover this after I harvest from it just to keep the weeds from going crazy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. a good way to do it. For sure, for sure. And uh, what was I going to ask you about garlic? Let's see. Um, Garlic's a great crop because, you know, there's I've never really seen a pest in it. They talk about thrips and a few things like that. But it's something I've never seen an aphid in or uh, hardly anything, you know, bothers it. So it's kind of a safe crop. Some people ask me, how do you, you know, farm organically without bugs and things? And there's a few things that I avoid growing. 
like uh, Brussels sprouts or cabbage or something like that where, you know, if you're not spraying them and dealing with that, they're just going to get caked with aphids. 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 Kind of terrible aphids. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, I see you every week at the farmer's market down. So you still participate. You're still there all the time. Um, you, you obviously love doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I get so excited in the spring when the soil finally loosens up after being frozen for a while and putting the first seeds in the dirt and uh, watching them come up. Man, I'm addicted to the dirt. <laughs> Me too, boy. I love the I love the embryonic journey of that seed. When you, you plant that seed and it grows a plant, but then it grows fruit and then you can eat it. Boy, oh boy. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing and I'm always surprised... I think everybody would be doing it, but when you look into what it takes, it is a lot of work and takes, a, you know, a few brains. I'm not very smart, but I've got common sense, and I'm good at the grunt work, which is a big part of it. Right, and just, and I think most of gardening is being attentive and getting out there and looking at the plants and watching to see, yeah. see what's going on. Yeah. Seeing what's going on. Tomatoes, you got a lot of tomatoes. An heirloom red tomato Rutgers. Beautiful. This is Cherokee purple. Oh yeah, I love that one. That's probably one of I, the best I love tomatoes. That one. It is. I grow that one. On I grow right that there. exact one. I've it, got the brandy wines here. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, there's about 20 different heirlooms that are growing right here, and I've also got a shade tunnel down here blown apart a little bit in the past couple winds that we had. We but, had some weather, didn't but we? But it, it, it's late enough and cool enough now that we'll take those row covers, or the shade covers. And I see you got, you got flowers planted out here by the road. You're bringing in some pollinators with those. I Absolutely, believe. and I've got a beneficial hedge over here. Let's go down and take a look at that. I had a real bad uh, season with aphids about six years ago, and I called a lady who was doing research on aphids and how to control them naturally and we build a beneficial hedge here with a lot of different plants where the beneficials can hide out and uh, come out and do their thing during the day and I've got a lot of ladybugs here and green lace wings. So and some, some, some of the some of the bugs are good for us and the ones you just named lace wing, praying mantis, ladybugs, uh, they're we want those. We they love it. They love it here, and I've got a great environment for them. And I was so excited when she said she wanted to do the research here and, uh, you know, start doing that and helping me take care of the aphids. I've seen probably 90% less aphids than I used to see around here. Uh-huh. And usually kale and... Things like that would they be draw it in. With them. They draw it in, don't they? Some By of this the, time, some of these but I see weather. very few, uh, very few aphids on this kale. Look at that. Nope. Don't see any. I don't see any. That pretty. So this is your hedge you're talking about right here. That's the hedge right there. And what's the frilly, grassy-looking plant that comes? I'm not up? positive not what these are, but they're a lot of native grasses. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, really good pollinators. And I've always got a good bee crop around here. I, you know, a lot of people are worried about that, and I always see plenty of them. And uh, I don't really run into the problem with pests. Uh huh. 
Uh -huh. Really, probably if you grow the right things. We'll grow the right things. Good, yeah. good, good advice. So I know you're involved with Slow Foods Utah in a few different ways. You had some ties with them, and recently you're you're doing some uh, you're supplying some food for the Feast of Their Five Senses. The feast, yeah. and the Feast of Their Five Senses is a big fundraiser they have for micro grants, and uh, you've received one of those micro grants too. And I was thrilled this shade tunnel here that we're standing by yep. in the middle of the summer uh, when it's so hot I have a little trouble with uh, parsleys and uh -huh. there was dill here you can see some more yep. cilantro yep. and uh, basil flowering early so I've got a place to plant these it's bolting is what early they call in the it, season right? yep early in the season and uh, I get ahead of the hot weather by putting these shade tunnels out that help, of course, you know, keep some of the hot sun. Is this what percentage shade, right shade cloth? About 30? 60. 60. 60. About 60, yeah. 60. This is the good thick stuff and uh -huh. it really, uh, it, it's really amazing if you look at what's planted here and what's planted out in the sun, this stuff does twice as good. Twice as good. And I've got tomatoes planted over here and they do better you, they like in it. the shade they tunnel like too. They like it too, don't they? We, yeah. Our weather here is blistering hot in the summer and boy, this Most year, tomatoes and even, you know, peppers and things like that, they're not crazy about it. I know another guy who covers a couple acres with this stuff. I don't know if you've heard of wow. Sam Day. He's part of the Day Brothers down there and uh -huh. He went to school at Utah State and did some studies on shade covers and just how much they can help tomatoes and peppers grow. So that that's a that's something that is native here to our environment and something that folks can look into in order to keep their you know keep growing in the hot months in the summer. And I've got some shade cloths this year and I've used it. I my peppers did not get sunburned like they did last year. They, it didn't happen. Yeah, and you can get peppers to color up a little bit better, better. too for the reds and yellows and I have some purples. purples and I have some like purples, some anchos from Mexico oh. that I've, I brought some seeds back, and they're just starting to get purple now. You need to share some of those with okay. me. I'd love some uh, heirloom, heirloom anchos. Uh, I've read. I've got some information. I get a lot of books on. Uh, agriculture and that's about all I read I'm not into fiction or any of that <laughs> but it talked about how they've uh, hybridized a lot of these peppers from Mexico like the ancho and the green chili uh, of course ancho is the dried poblano yep and the minute they hybridized them the flavors weren't nearly the same they, know, they go not away nearly as they good. go away so what what's what's hopping right now in the garden? I see you got all this rhubarb. I thought that was a summer or spring plant. Well, most people don't know if you keep the flowers from uh, growing on it that it'll produce all summer long. I just sold a couple hundred pounds of it to Amor Spreads, the uh, jam company right down there next to us at the farmer's market, and they put it in their strawberry rhubarb jam, and it's their best seller. I'll pick about three crops out of it each season wow. and uh, I'll even have rhubarb at the farmer's market this Saturday. So so pick the flowers off of it. Yeah, keep it from flowering. You know a lot of vegetables are like that. If you your basil, if you keep the flowers off it, yes. it'll produce and yep. keep, we'll keep coming. Yep. And yep. Same thing with the dill and cilantro and 
and uh, a lot of herbs are like that. Look how beautiful this rosemary is. Oh right my here. goodness, it's really beautiful. Really nice. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. And cucumbers are doing well this year. They don't mind the heat. They don't mind. They kind of like it. Hmm. Boy, I've got some neat varieties of it too. It sure was hot this year in June and July. Hottest June and July ever is what I heard. Did you see any effects of that? I saw a lot of effects to it. Uh, I think it compromised the size of some of the vegetables that we grow because you just couldn't get enough uh, water to them. And I do everything on a drip system here right. so that I help conserve water well. But it would have been nice to have a, you know, foliar uh, application of a good rain and things like that. These rains that just came here in the past week, I saw s such an improvement in the way these vegetables look. The uh, Swiss chard was just standing up like, I don't even want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I noticed another thing with the shade cloth is, is that it helps to retain the water also because one day Absolutely. one day I watered before I put the shade cloth and the, it was bone dry by in the middle of summer. Well, did you see how I'm planting all my tomatoes, cucumbers, even the chard and kale? Uh-huh. Uh, there's just a little hole here. Yep. Maybe about, you know, about three inches in diameter. Of your ground cover. We burn the holes in it right there and then we plant the vegetables. They grow over it, and so of course- So you're talking about ground cover, and there's black ground cover laid up down, and you're drilling a little hole in it with a weed burner. Yep. And, and then you're burning a little hole in it, weed burner. Burning the little it's, hole in it, and then just planting the vegetable start that I start in my greenhouses over here. And uh, holds moisture in, I don't water. I might water these twice a week when it's really hot. And the drip lines, of course, you're just watering where uh, your plants are so you're not watering all the weeds all summer long. You got all these structures here. There's one, two, three, four, five, there's six, seven. There's a lot of structures here. There's a formal heated greenhouse. There's a couple of high tunnels. There's a cold frame. There's a canopy over my cooler and uh, I've got a big shed to store things in. And this was my grandma's property. It was just perfect for what I want to do. It's got, it's a big piece of property. I thought I wanted to do 20 acres or something like that. But when you do small acreage efficiently, you produce a lot and it doesn't get out of your hands. And then all these structures, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're starting early, you're going late, you're, you're getting all that extension on with these things. I am. I've still got herbs here that I'm going to plant in the fall. Uh, so these are starts all alongside of this? This It is. The tarragons and uh, sage and uh, perennials and things like that are good planted in the fall. And so they're going to move inside here in just a bit? No, they're going to be planted outside oh, here in oh, the fall. Okay. And then the early herbs that come on will produce first, and then these ones that I plant now will come oh. on a little bit later, so I got a good rotation. Well, they, they won't overwinter, will they? Well, thyme and a few. Uh, the rosemaries that I've got and oregano and tarragon and, and so these parsley are, and things like that will these do are just well. They're perennials, right? Yes. And they, boy, those are my favorites because they come back on their own. And with a little bit of coaxing and a little bit of help, they can come back really nice. It's, it's kind of a buzzword in agriculture right now, along with controlled environments, you know, your high tunnels and things like that. But 
I know they're working on perennial corn and perennial soybeans and things like that. Boy, whoever gets that created is going to be rich. Yep. You oh, know, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it'll be a lot easier. I think they've been crossing some corns with sugarcane and things like that. You know, sugarcane's a great perennial. Right. And a voracious plant, and uh -huh. they don't have to feed it much, and uh, just grows like son of a gun. Well, John, what do you want to add? What do you want to tell people out there that I haven't gotten to about your farm, about where you're at? And we can tell your info on where you're at and that, but to, what, what do you think folks should be doing to grow their own food and that kind of thing? Well, I think the main thing is just being conscious of the commercial uh, farm. Uh, nope. I think they call it conventional farming where they're using just so much pesticides and so many hybrids and the seed companies and of course the fertilizer companies are just taking advantage of farmers and making it impossible to save their own seed, making it impossible for them to fertilize without the stuff that they have to get for you. You know, you can produce your own compost at home and you can save your own seeds and get away from those hybrids that are flavorless and try to save your own seed, make your own compost, and you can have a totally self-sustained garden. And I think sustainability is a big word and an important word in the future as we go on. Uh, I've, I've heard, you know, during some droughts and, you know, where we're running into water problems that this small farmer that's not consuming as much as the commercial farms to produce the fruits and vegetables might be the thing of the future. So I'm, I'm happy to do it and, and I'm glad I'm doing it. I don't make a lot of money at it, but I really like what I do and I think it's important. Thanks for being that that big of an advocate, John. It sounds great. All that stuff, I I really take it to heart, and uh, I really think it's a no-brainer that more more folks should be out there. I wish they had uh, programs in schools to teach kids how to grow food. That's that's you know they've they, tried to do that, and I've had people talk to me about it, and they talk about it, and then it gets pushed aside. There's a few places where that's happening. But Utah isn't one of them, and we do need to get people a little bit more conscious about that here. Get them eating less hot dogs and hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. John Borsky here at Borsky Farms. Uh, great conversation with him. Uh, thanks so much, John, for being a part of the show. Cool. Cool. You're awesome. Big thanks to John Borsky. I think you can find him at um, Borsky Farms at Outlook.com. Great interview, Al. And of course, if people want to have you come over and tour their little agrihood, their little slice of the agrihood, how can they get in touch? You can find me on Facebook under Punk Rock Farmer, or you can email me at punkrockfarmer23 at gmail.com. You know, Al, we started off the show with some fresh and homegrown music, literally so fresh that it's not really out for people to, to buy that Fugitive Dust song by Rich Wyman and Lisa Needham. And FYI, you can hear that live when they open up for Kenny Loggins at Red Butte Garden on September 12th. That show just announced, and you can bet Rich will make a lot of noise about Fugitive Dust at that gig. But he sent me this other tune. This one's called The Fearlessness to wrap up Radioactive Summer Break Tonight with the Punk Rock Farmer. 
Fresh and homegrown, Rich Wyman and Lisa Needham on KRCL 90.9 FM. the 